This is a Capricorn FM podcast. Minutes before seven o'clock in progressive talk. Those are some of the views that I'm able to get to this evening. And we're moving on to our next commitment for the evening. And this is, has been our commitment for the last three weeks. We're getting to the fourth week and wrapping up this conversation this evening, but it has been a very fruitful conversation, I must say, and we've been able to engage with you and furthermore invite you to engage with us again this evening on the issues that we're talking about so we're looking at the uh, looking at to clarify the myths and the facts about government as a system how government plans the impact of planning on government procurement and other processes impacting public procurement that can disadvantage suppliers in accessing opportunities through public procurement emphasis of course is being made throughout this conversation and has been made on a comparison and normal planning and planning under emergency and lessons that can be drawn from COVID-19 so we've been able to do that throughout and we continue with this conversation. We should be able to catch up and remind ourselves where we have been. And we're asking you, of course, to engage with us on 0826542046. That's the WhatsApp number. The studio line is 0872889697. It is hashtag Progressive Talk on Twitter at Capricorn FM. It's at Capricorn FM on Facebook. Let's speak to Rakhadi Mutzeto, who is Chief Director, Stakeholders and Clients Management there at National. Treasury. Rakhadi, good evening. Welcome. Good evening, Rakhadi. Okay, so that line read for a while there. Rakhadi, good evening. Okay, okay, okay. Let's see what is happening there. We should have Rakhadi. See, we have her that, on that line. I'm sure why she's not able to hear me on my end or me hearing her. It's easily that she's able to hear me and I'm not able to hear her respond. Rakhadi? Okay. Okay. So we're going to lose it and get back it up and, and get it back again and, and, and sort that line there with Rahadi and have this conversation that we've been having. So we've been looking at this and of course we've been having engagements with you. You were able to ask questions. I would say uh, another opportunity tonight to ask questions. We're wrapping up this conversation. So there are issues you want to engage with Rahadi on this conversation. Do engage with her tonight. Do check the issues that you want to check with as we wrap up this conversation. Quite an opportunity, of course, to get clarity on different matters that you have relating to this. I've got Rahadi back on. Hi, Rahadi, good evening. Good evening, Mr. Chak, how are you? Good, good. Good to have you. Good, 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 good. A happy progressive women's month to you. I thought I was talking to a woman today. <laughs> well, yes, happy progressive. You are the woman today, so we have sorted that out by having you on the other end of this conversation. Yeah, indeed. Okay, and and we've been having great conversation for the last three weeks that we're wrapping up uh-huh. now, and very informative. Our listeners have been engaging, and uh, they'll be engaging today. I've, I was saying to our listeners that as we wrap up, if there's still issues that they want clarity on, issues that we go back on and and refresh, this is quite an uh-huh. opportunity that that we have. Okay, so where where do you want to start tonight as we, we wrap up? What are the issues perhaps that? Um, on our fourth week that you want us to, to focus on. I see, of course, this is the objective of subcontracting clause, the preferential regulations, yes. the uh, buying local, mm-hmm. and, and maybe let's talk a little more about that. Okay. Um. Uh, actually, I would love to hear from women in the today. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, for the change. Um, let me deal with one one um, comment that I think it came from your previous um, program, which shortly, mm-hmm. when yeah. he was talking about the publishing of names of awards. It's something that we are required to do as, as provincial treasuries for transparency to comply with Section 217 of the Constitution. So we have to publish those names, and he is correct that we, as a treasurer, we are responsible if we are called upon to check whether the process that was com- that was applied doesn't any it doesn't violate any of the SDM prescripts. So that is something that we will do if at all there's an investigation and it's brought to our attention. Mm. We will assist in clarifying those areas to make sure that no no SDM prescripts were violated. Okay, thank you, thank you mm-hmm. for that. Uh, mm-hmm. Going the shot, you will be very happy with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, for today, we're talking about preferential procurement regulations of 2017 mm-hmm. um, that came from the 2015 State of the Nations Address. 
where the former president wanted us to set aside some of the procurement uh, for SMEs, and we had to look at the entire legislation to see whether there was room for a set aside. Mm. When there was none, we had to find a way of, of expressing that 30% that he was talking about within the prescripts that we had. That is why we came up with the preferential procurement regulations for 2017. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. You're there? I thought I lost you a bit there. you there, Rakhadi? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm here. Oh, okay, great. So you were saying that's why we came with the preferential uh, procurement regulations of 2017 there. 17, yeah. yeah. And so that, uh, in terms of whether there were provisions in the constitutions, uh, were provisions already made in the constitutions to look at previously disadvantaged groups through procurement and, and why were the, the emphasis through these regulations? There, there was, there still is, um, in terms of Section 217, I think 2B, where reference is made to previously disadvantaged groups. So what we had to do is just to put emphasis in terms of who are we talking about when we say previously disadvantaged groups, because the interpretation was a bit vague, and it may it became difficult for certain institutions to apply and also try and break down the the, the categories of SMEs that we are going to target. That is why we came up with what we call the qualifying small enterprises as well as the exempted micro enterprises. Just to make sure that when you say SMEs, because it's broad if you put it like that, mm. then we had to find categories so that when you say we're talking about QSEs and EMEs, what are we talking about? If we say previously disadvantaged groups, yeah. we're talking about this particular group of businesses or owned by this particular group of people, just so it is clear for everybody. That is why even on the CSD, those categories are there for suppliers to be picked up from those categories. And were you able to, perhaps is there a definition of what is the previously disadvantaged group? It was a little bit vague because it meant um, any business owned by black people. Mm-hmm. But we put emphasis and said, look, it needs to be a clear ownership where we say it needs to be 51% plus ownership. Mm-hmm. Not somebody who is working in an institution, somebody who is part of the institution, but they're not owning part of the business. So that is why we went to say, look, it needs to be 51% or more ownership by black people or black women or people living with disabilities or youth. So we had to clarify that when we say ownership, that it swings directly to the previously disadvantaged groups in that session. It shouldn't be 50-50 because it tends to be a little bit distorted. Mm. And, and yeah, I know when you're talking about brings back the ideas that are unfronting, that people are saying that, uh, yeah, yes. people are fronting just to meet the requirements of the regulations. Is there something in place to look out for such uh, practices? There is. Um, it's something that is um, a responsibility of the DTIC. Mm. Um, but on the CSC, when you register, it does give us who, who, who the directors are and what is the percentage of ownership in that company. Okay. We continue mm-hmm. to talk with Rakhad. And Rakhad was saying earlier that uh, she'd like to engage women from Limpopo tonight as we wrap up this yes. conversation. I would like to hear from uh, uh, women from Limpopo, from uh, female yes. listeners. Engage with Rakhadi. Let's hear what are the issues you want to engage uh, with or on or get clarity on. That's on 87 The WhatsApp number is 082 We are taking your calls and to engage with you on these issues that we're talking about. So, all right. Uh, so we're talking about that and we're talking about the the previously disadvantaged there. I see, but it breaks. Does it break it into categories to say it has to be 51% owned by black people, black women as well? I want to go to this black women, people living with disability, the youth. Are these, is it categorized like that? Do you look at that, that all these things are represented? They are there in the regulations. They are clear. They are so clear. Nobody will, nobody will be confused by that. That is why when you... ...from the CIPC, so we can see um, in terms of your ID number, whether you're African, as in black, you're a woman, or, or and then you have to indicate as well if at all 
your company has people living with disabilities, the youth we can pick up from the age, the gender we can pick up from the ID side as well. So it is clear even in the regulations that this is what we're looking at. Mm. Even when you go to the CSD, when we talk about subcontracting, this plays a key role because we are able to see whether when we want to subcontract, we have those women that that those businesses that are owned by women, Mm. whether we can subcontract them or not, or do we have businesses that are owned by youth or people with disabilities before we even get to finalize our specifications and the the tender documents where we say we're going to subcontract or we're not going to subcontract. But what necessitated these regulations? It is the um, 2015 in the summer where we were talking about the the CSD as well and the e-tenders. This is one of the the priorities that we were given Mm -hmm. um, that Thirty um, percent of the procurement of government needs to go to these previously disadvantaged groups. So it was a little bit vague because, in terms of ownership, how do we determine that this company that we're doing business with is owned by uh, the majority of the shareholders are black women or they are youth? So we had to go and specify and clarify those percentages and the groupings that we're talking about. Mm. Okay, and in terms of ensuring transformation, does this also serve that purpose? Is that one of the objectives as well of these regulations? Yes, the objectives of the regulations, I think that's threefold, but they tend to overlap a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you have your transformation, where through subcontracting, we saying we want to see more black people or more black-owned businesses playing in that space where you hardly see um, black businesses are trading in. And then you get an empowerment part where we give them preference to, to such groups. And then there's another part where we're talking about localization, which is something that we'll talk to. Ragali? Um, yeah, okay. Hello. I lost you temporarily, but got you back. Okay. You were so talking about, maybe I lost you when you were talking about localization. Okay, I'm saying localization is the third one because mm. um, we need to resuscitate some of the industries in the country that were damaged by poor quality imports that came into the country. So in terms of transformation, we're looking at, at that subcontracting. However, if at all you have a company that is in that industry through a particular tender, we are saying they need, then you go and use the preference part of it, where you say preference will be given to these groups. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so this is supposed to obviously be helping these groups, not necessarily hindering them to be bidding in other areas where such regulations are not stipulated as, as direct as this. The Regulations are saying, because we know that these industries that have high cost to entry, the barriers to entry. There needs to be a mandatory 30% contracting, which is minimum, by the way. If at all you have a company that is black-owned that can take 50%, it needs to be uh, reflected like that. However, you can reflect. At least we have a QSE or we have an ESE and this is their revenue bracket. Can they handle an amount of this tender? If at all you have a QSE that can, that has a revenue between um, above 10 million and 50 million, then obviously we can say they can handle a 30 million um, contract. Then when you appoint them, you give them preference. When you, you, you issue the tender, you can indicate that there's going to be preference and you definitely show that there's going to be a response from those categories of businesses. Unlike if you say you're not subcontracting, you're opening it up to everybody and then there's no business that is black-owned that can respond to it. Ultimately, you will have to proceed and appoint a company that doesn't fall within these categories because you didn't do the market research to make sure that you have these companies that can respond and that you can do either through the CSD or going through regulatory bodies that can help you, that can tell you that we have these two companies that are black-owned that can manufacture this type of commodity, which is high-end, of course. So those are the things that, that, that we need to, they need to understand that 
if at all market research was not done properly, you go in to throw the tender into the market and say you're going to subcontract only to find you don't even have the EMEs in that category that can participate in the subcontracting. Mm. Okay, and, and let's talk about localization or buying local. W- what is being said around that? What do the regulations um, say? Yeah, localization. Localization. When we say localization, uh, we're saying anything that is traded or sold or serviced within the boundaries of this country. The problem is that um, some officials they tend to think when we say localization we're talking about a municipality where they will issue a tender and put a clause there that this tender is only open to people in Boho. Mm. You know, and, and, and that goes against the, the, the constitution itself because that bringing back those discrimination in terms of municipal boundaries, provincial boundaries, which is something that we want to do away with. So when we say in local we're talking about anything that happens in this country across the nine provinces, across the 280-something municipalities, meaning that any supplier can do business in any province, in any municipality in this country, as long as they feel it's economically viable for them to do it. Now, the problem that is there is that if you ring fence that tendency, it's only open for people in Bologuani or people in Toyando. Then what happens tomorrow if um, the municipal boundaries are shifted. Does it mean that those who are that side can do trading on this side also? And when we say local, we're talking about the products that are happening, that are manufactured, in, that are, you know, farmed in this country. I know in Popo you have this tomato factory. Yeah. Are we saying that now, is it ZZ2 or something? Yes, um, ZZ2. That too is it's a, it's a, it's a Limpopo, it's a Limpopo product. We mm. don't say that. We're saying it's a local product because they can supply the entire country with those tomatoes. When we say it's a Limpopo product, then people in KZN with their sugar cane factories, they can say, okay, fine. You keep your tomatoes, we keep our sugar. Then, we, then we're fighting amongst ourselves as people in mm. the country. So we're saying local means anything that has been produced in this country anything that has been manufactured in this country. And the reason why we say localization, in, in, in the DTIC, they talk about local content because they want to know when you manufacture something in this country, what elements have you sourced in the country to make sure that this is a South African product. They will look at the, the capacity that you're using in terms of labor. They will look at the, the suppliers that you're sourcing your, your, your product from to to, to produce whatever you want to produce. And also you need to record it that, look, this is the amount of import that I've made because I remember there was a supplier who was asking about SPD6, that mm. why is the TI is asking about that. They want to make sure that the industries that were destroyed previously by this fake import, they are resuscitated so that people can continue to have jobs and then contribute to the economy. So when we say local, we're talking about anything that is produced within the country. And it means that in future, when we buy, we need to make sure that we make a conscious decision to buy our own products because that's where we are creating jobs. That's where money is circulating within the country instead of buying something that is um, manufactured outside the country. That's interesting. It talks about uh, a conversation that uh, we have been having around PPEs and some saying, uh, you know, you've had the questions around um, why in one province the companies that were contracted to supply PPEs were from another province and none Mm -hmm. from the particular province. So say, for example, uh, the argument was why in Limpopo you would have companies from Gauteng that have been contracted to Mm -hmm. supply services for COVID-19 and PPEs and things like that Mm -hmm. and none from from the province. So perhaps what you just said answers such questions. Yes, because remember with with an emergency... There are a few uh, uh, um, specifications that you can use. Mm. Firstly, it's an emergency. It's a life-threatening situation. So one, one, one element that will be on top of, of the list will be what is the turnaround time for you to give me what I need to save life, mm. right? Yeah. If they go around Limpopo and talk to the suppliers in Limpopo and say, look, we need the PPEs for the health workers. How soon can you come back to us? And you're talking about two months, then it's not going to help. 
then you still go and buy from somebody who's within this country, irrespective of whether it's in another province or not, as long as you are responsive to the emergency that you're facing as a province. So there's no discrimination that is happening. Every supplier has a right to do business in the country. Mm. They can move around um, their business in the country as long as they have the capability to do that. And these kind of... um, uh, tenders that go out, that are ring fence, that we're looking for only suppliers in this particular um, area. They shouldn't even be making it to the public domain because if you look at all these institutions of government, yeah. they do have legal legal people who are supposed to make sure that anything that goes into the public domain mm-hmm. doesn't go against the constitution. Just to prevent all these um, misunderstandings that, no, I'm living here but the fact that you couldn't give us the PPEs within a week, we can't wait for you. We have to go and source somewhere else within the country to make sure that as a province we are responsive to the emergency that we're facing. Are there other institutions or agencies that play a role in, in the localization of procurement? A lot, yes, yes, yes. And you have, um, the thing is suppliers tend to think when you talk about government, we're talking about Department of Trade or Department of Treasury. We're talking about the agencies as well that report to these departments and different ministers under different portfolios. One of the agencies that play a big role is the Tauli SA um, that reports to the DTIC. And, and their um, uh, objective is to resuscitate those industries, like I said, that were, were really um, impacted badly by all this uh, fake and poor quality um, imports. One of the things that they are doing um, for suppliers is to give them a platform where if you are manufacturing something, instead of looking to government only for business, they're giving you an opportunity to say, look, if you are manufacturing honey and you have honey products, those are the products that can be used across hotel hotel ranges. Then come to our platform. Then we'll give you access to those uh, those those businesses. And then you go and make your pitch. They test your product. They look at the quality. If they are happy, and then they 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 give you that platform where you're going to sell your product. If you don't know how to sell your product, then you're not impressing the people who want to buy locally. Because when somebody comes to invest and and start um, a food chain um, store. Those are the things that they think about. If you have maybe a sauce that you tried at home and it seems to be selling locally, you know, in the area where you stay, that is the platform that they can think about to go and expand more instead of waiting for government to buy a sauce. We don't buy sauces anyway. So whatever they do, they shouldn't think that when government gives them support, they they, they, they are restricted to sell whatever they're selling to government only. They can sell to anybody in this country. They can use platforms like Cloudly SA to access different clients. Mm. And then the other thing that, that I picked up when I spoke to Cloudly SA a week ago, some yes. weeks ago, what they're looking for now, they don't want people who are going to import and distribute. Mm. They want people who are going to manufacture in this country, create mm-hmm. jobs using local content, local commodities to produce whatever they, are, they, what they need. Because they say they're looking for blankets and they're looking for baby clothing that are made in this country. Not people who are going to import it. They're looking to resuscitate the textile industry. So they're working with, with the textile union to make sure that those jobs that were lost at some point, they bring them back. Right. Yeah, because that's that's the other issue I wanted to check. What is the end game for these agencies? Uh, what they aim to achieve in the ro- in the role that they play? They are there to, is to is to support all businesses, not not mainly those that are doing business with government. You look at the financing side; mm. they will give you, they will help you, support you, start any other business as long as you're going to contribute to the economy and create jobs, right? And, and the other thing is that suppliers tend to think um, uh, Cloudy SA is for particular things. There are so many suppliers on the on, on the on the on the on the thing on their platform that are selling different things. If at all your commodities are Cloudy SA, some of us would love to have Cloudy SA things because if you look at what we are using now, suppliers can start thinking: these sanitizer bottles, who's making them? You know, these caps that are on the sanitizer bottles, who's making them? 
mm. right? And and you'll you'll hear people saying, "No, I'm wearing most of the sports or the jeans they carry this zip." I think it's a YKK zip. It's a Japanese product. Mm-hmm. Are we saying that as, as South Africans we can have our own quality product manufactured here, where we go in to create more jobs? Your smack, your kitchen appliances, the Italian product. The Tupperware is an American product and it was started from waste, plastic waste. So those are the things that we're saying to suppliers. Please, when you use or consume any product, try and think, where is this particular commodity coming from? Who's making it? Am I contributing to jobs in this country? Can I not try and do it myself and start selling around and supplying? Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and when you make that point, contributing to jobs yep. in the country, so mm-hmm. uh, and it would seem that government uh, is not necessarily restricting supplies to produce commodities intended only mm-hmm. for the use by government. No, no, we're not saying that. We're mm. not saying that. We want our own products in the country because I remember when to to one conference when when we, we could still move around and you had suppliers who were displaying in in, in their own. Um, uh, stores there, and, and there was one lady who was sitting at the corner selling um, mango archer, and, and the other guy was in the corner selling sunflower oil. And I, I couldn't understand, I was asking, but where do you source your oil? And he said something, said, but why don't you talk to that one at the corner so that you create your own value chain between the two of you? Definitely, when you buy his oil, he's going to promote your own products so mm. that now your products are starting to move you know, uh, broader than between you and him standing in one corner and not talking to one another. So we are saying as, as, as emerging suppliers, please think differently. Start looking at the gaps in the country that you can fix. Start innovating different products. Start, start bring, giving us products that are South African, clothing that we can wear that are proudly South African, so that we stop buying these fake quality commodities that are, that are landing on our shores. And, and while you're talking about clothes and, and things like that, I understand proudly South African together with Saktu is seeking suppliers who can provide blankets and baby clothing in South Africa. And perhaps there's a bigger market to explore around that. There's a lot. It, it's not only that. Um, remember with the blankets, it was the winter season, mm. right? So what they can do is to go and check on, 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 on the platform for Proud ESA um, to see what else, what other commodities are, are we trying to solve also. They can go in, into our website and see what are the products that DTI has designated that have a high content level of, of local production that we are sticking to, to, to make sure that even if you import a steering wheel or a leather, let it be come bring it back to South Africa and have it assembled in the country so that you create jobs because you cannot go and import all these things and get them ready there and bring them this side because sometimes especially they look the electronic ones if you import them the 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 weather conditions tend to be a bit tricky because when you bring them from one area to this side they get here they can't function mm. that's why you have another institution that we call um the national uh, meteorological of south africa i think so and mesa where they will tell you if you're going to import such a product that is an electronic product when you bring it the site, make sure that they make adjustments to this and that so that it can function once it lands in the country. So those are the institutions that suppliers need to, when they do research in terms of what they need to manufacture, they need to think about those things. Will this thing, if I import it to come and assemble it here, will it work because of the different weather conditions? Mm-hmm. What else do I need to change? What else do I need to improve or tone down? So they need, those are some of the things that they need to think about. But what are they expected to do as a contribution to achieve, achieving these objectives of these regulations? We have what we call the subcontracting part, which tends to be a little bit of a problem for us because when we put these policies together, we put them together for suppliers to benefit and, and participate in them. Um, but the problem is that once you subcontract the supplier, there's a confusion in terms of that 30%. When we say 30% subcontracting, if you have subcontracted 30% of 30 million, mm. we are not giving you 9 million in a pocket. We're saying we're giving you 9 million worth of work, the scope of work. Mm. Meaning, if at all you have the 9 million, 
right? You can carry the, the scope of work. Then you're going to carry your own overhead. You're going to bring your own labor. You're going to bring all the expertise that you need to make sure that that 30% of the product you deliver on your own, right? Mm -hmm. Because the reason why we're saying 30%, we understand that some of the EMEs, they don't have the financial muscle to take over a a contract of 30 million or 50 million. So we're saying let's start with 30% and see how you perform then. Tomorrow, when there's a tender that is, is within the range of 15 million or 10 million, then we know that we have a supplier who was exposed to this particular project. Then we can think about advertising, knowing very well that when you say preference will be given to EMEs that are owned by women or whatever, we know that there's going to be a response from those categories of, of, of businesses. However, the challenge is most suppliers, once they are subcontracted, they mm-hmm. don't take the responsibility. They don't do their part. They're easily bought out. If the main contractor says, look, here is this much, you can walk away and do the contract on my own. They take it. And that defeats the reason why we have this subcontracting in place. And remember, when we say subcontracting 30%, we're not saying it's 30% throughout. We say minimum. That is mandatory. That has to happen whether they like it or not. But it can go higher. Mm. If you have a QSE that can take the entire project, they can still, they need to subcontract as well to make sure that we build capacity in those industries where we hardly see the previously disadvantaged group. Okay, and, and we spoke about this in the beginning, that uh, there's a transformation agenda that is going on around these regulations. But the overriding sense is that the majority of institutions of government are struggling to get this transformation agenda right. Why is that? It's a mixed set of things. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> some of the suppliers, like I said, once they're put forward for, 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 for subcontracting to achieve that level of transformation, they just walk away and take money and, and, and walk away, you know, instead of making an effort to learn um, the skill and, and, you know, how the industry functions, you know. Now, it, it, it tends to border on, on fronting because we are awarding the tender ba- on the basis that they're going to subcontract you, you're going to learn once you're done, you will come out a better business, yeah. right? So um, it, it tends to be a little bit tricky there. Um, and and, and it, it defeats that because tomorrow when we have a new tender and the same main contractor comes and we say subcontracted, they will say, no, the last time you gave me somebody because when we subcontract, we are giving the supplier, the main contractor the names that they need to choose from. Mm. They don't bring their own subcontractees, so to say, from wherever. So we give them the names because we have done the, the market research. We have gone through the CSD to check whether you have the finances or not. If not, then how do we structure that subcontracting for you? So if they take money and walk away, they are closing that process for the next um, a small supplier who would have had an opportunity to learn as well. Right? And the other thing is that if you were to look at, at, at um, our higher learning institution as well, yes. remember um, when I started, I said government is a system. Mm. So when one area of the system doesn't function, mm. um, it tends to impact on the other. So most of the, of the higher learning institutions, if you were to look for them, they don't offer um, a qualification in public procurement. They would offer something in logistics or there's just a supply chain management. But when you register, you realize that this doesn't talk to how government does business, especially through procurement. So that as well tends to contribute to to the challenges that we have in terms of achieving and applying our policies. Yeah. We tend to change policies over and over again. However, on the other side, we, we struggle to capacitate the officials to make sure that we want them on the level where they are strategic, they can do proper planning, they can do, they can run projects on their own. So it, 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 it's, a, it's a mixed bag of problems where we want supply uh, um, the entire system to function because I had somebody saying don't, uh, the, the state capture commission is useless. So the thing is, if at all, the justice system, the institutions that are supposed to be handling this process that the commission is handling, did what they're supposed to be doing, I don't think we'll be having the commission right now. So it's yeah. the failure of one area of the system that tends to create a burden on the other side of, of the system. So 
it, it needs to be looked at it that way that if one is not doing something right, it impacts on the on the other side of the system. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that, that we need to, to think about, um, what we are doing actually from our side together with some of the provincial treasuries is because we know that the curriculum that we have in, in higher learning institutions is not going to produce um, the graduates that we can use immediately that will hit the ground running. What we do, we work with them and we try to go and give them those guest lectures quarterly just so that the, the students won't know what is happening when they leave the system that, okay, this is how government works. At least when I decide to go and do internship in government, this is how much I need to read. This is what I need to read. These are the, you know, the streams that I can take once I'm in government. I can go into finance. I can go into, into supply chain or I can do communication. Mm. So we do have those engagements with Thailand and institutions as to bridge that gap for, for the graduate. Okay. All right. Just a um, few questions that we've got here that uh, let's perhaps uh, go through on WhatsApp. This says, uh, why is the transversal contract for small items takes time to be released than bigger items? I'm asking this because the contract for Walking aids took long to come out from 2018 and it is only released in the last month of 2020. These are items which utilized for issuing to patients daily by all the public hospital. It's really a concern. Yeah. Remember, um, before you issue the next contract, you need to go and do um, research again. And it's not restricted to because some of the commodities, the specifications tend to change because the manufacturers will be improving how they they will be improving their products. So we need to go and engage with suppliers because when you put a transversal contract in place, firstly, you have to consult the health sector or whoever is going to use that product. They will tell you this is what we need. We need wheelchairs for, for, for young young people, for elderly and this and that and that. And then you put it together, you go to the industry and check if they do have that and what is their capacity. And then once you're done, you have to look at as well, how are we going, is it possible to even subcontract in this area? If not, because the, the regulations say where it is feasible, you need to subcontract. Then you need to look at the policies. How are we going to do it without violating the policies? So it's not as easy as I would say I want to have paper tomorrow and then it goes and then comes back. And the other thing is if there's a delay in the industry, it takes to take longer as well. So we are controlled by different elements, your industry as well as the uh, institutions. If they're not responsive on time, then there's going to be that particular kind of delay. Mm. Okay. And our listener also asks uh, on WhatsApp, what are the advantages of subcontracting and is it advisable or good idea to have a subcontract? It is. It is. Remember, um, the industries that we want to see transformation in, most of them, the barriers to entry are cost and 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 skill and and um, other requirements such as your uh, specific kind of uh, competence, your engineers, and all those things. Most of them, they don't have the financial muscle. They've done small projects. So we want them to partner with a bigger uh, kind of um, contractor so that they learn the trade in terms of how do I source best um, this amount of product? How where, how do I time it? You know, um, how do I negotiate certain prices and all those kind of things? So that when you're done, you can spend on your own. Because if we say we have a 50 million um, um contract and as an EME uh, you say okay here's the contract let's let it open to EMEs that are owned by youth mm. um, you go to, to a financial institution and they look at you and say okay fine let's see your, your financials what is it that you have and and those are the things that we're trying to close by saying okay let's make it 30% mandatory so that at least once they move from 30%, then they can do it on their own if you have a 15 million or a 20 million. Okay. And this says, Rahadi is talking processes and not addressing what is Treasury, uh, national and provincial doing to curb corruption on awarding of tenders in all spheres of government. 
the internal committees to evaluate adjudicate in all spheres are failing because they already know which company they're appointing the rest is just to conceal the shenanigans as the ag is picking flaws unqualified audits irregular expenditure she should give factual um this has explication not hypothetical thinking maybe let's say factual explanations not hypothetical thinking uh, what do you say to that Rakhadi? um maybe he should look at the findings of the auditor general because um the auditor general will be very specific in terms of what went wrong in the process um and most of the time any regular expenditure is not only happening in in the tender process sometimes people go um officials will go and buy from a supplier, um, even if it's on a quotation, um, a supplier that is not on the CSD and that becomes irregular, or sometimes that the process will be started and, and completed without getting the proper approvals in place to follow that particular process. So then it becomes regular because if the internal operational play, um, uh, policies are saying uh, Rakhadi needs to sign and the accounting officer needs to give approval before you even go and talk to, to, to uh, Capricorn, Capricorn FM, yeah. then that process, this whole process will be irregular, not because there was no value for money or we didn't get back any, 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 any value from it, but the process was irregular. So it is important that he distinguishes because between what is irregular, what was the finding when, when, when the um, Auditor General put, put that comment. Mm, okay. Uh, this says, what are the risks of subcontracting? The risks are suppliers not participating in the project. They subcontracted one, not participating, as well as the main contractors um, trying to buy out the supplier. And as well as uh, project managers in departments or institutions not having oversight or monitoring the performance of the subcontracted. And the contract is just to make sure that that portion of work that has been subcontracted to the EME or QSE is done the way it's supposed to be done. And between the main contractor and the contracted, there's that. Um, learning exchanges happening to make sure that when they're done, at least they have some experience and, and knowledge on how to do it all by themselves. All right, just 19 minutes before 8 o'clock in Progressive Talk, and we are still talking. You can engage with us on 0872 8969 0872 8969 and 082-654-2446-082-654-2446-082-654-2446-082-654-2446-082-654-2446-082-654-2446-082-654-2446-082-654-2446-082-654-2446-082-654-2446-082-654-2446-082-654-2446-082-654-2446-082-654-2446-082-
to say to a certain extent to go and recover the laws that government is suffering as a result of this negligence that officials tend to uh, commit. The other thing is that if as a small supplier you find yourself in a situation, I know some of them, they have that thing that I'll take you to court. Yeah. Let me tell you this. Within government, we have some, and I'm saying some, legal people mm. who instead of preventing such um, mishappenings uh, from, from coming up and, and suppliers finding themselves in such situations, they will really fold their sleeves and fight the supplier to the teeth. Mm. So a supplier needs to think twice when, when they get into, into, into a transaction, know the rules of engagement, know what is wrong, know what is right. Because in our case, when you know the right thing, we know that you knew. If you didn't know, we will know that you didn't know. But in whichever way, it's not going to help you, whether you didn't know or you knew mm. and chose to do the wrong thing. Okay. Um, and, and before we, we go to the other issues as we recap, maybe let me read these okay. comments that we're getting on WhatsApp. This reads, uh, Gamola, does your guest know that all she's explaining is just formality but not what happens? All orders or tenders are awarded either to friends, relatives or friends. What do you say to that? It's... Um that is why I said, you know, and I agree with you when you said sometimes let's work on facts because if you know that there's a crime being committed and, and you just um, talk about it in passing, it's not going to solve the problem, right? And and officials of government shouldn't be selling tenders. That's the first. Mm. And now we have this this um, I'll call it a committee that the president has appointed. Yeah. And you can, you can supply the information anonymously, they will follow it up. But to say these tenders are like this, that is why um, I was saying to, to one supplier, sometimes don't look at what other people are doing and how they get their businesses because all that you see is this glamour and all this, but you don't know what is happening behind the scene. Because right now, there was one supplier who bought, I think, 11 cars. And a week later, those cars were, were, were repossessed, they were taken, and it's a criminal issue. So rather fight with the right information than to listen to somebody who discourages you and say, look, don't even try because this tender is made up for so-and-so. Mm. Okay, this reads, I've been quoting work for government for about five years and never got mm. work. Mostly, I'd quote 10 rands profit per item, and still, I don't get appointed. What could be the problem? Remember, um, it depends what commodity is it quoting on. Because remember, I said some of the commodities we have um, cost containment instruction notes where we have put a cap in um, in terms of how much we're willing to pay for certain commodities, uh, like your catering. And then I did say again, if at all he feels that he's been quoting and he's not getting business, he has every right to go and ask that why is it that I'm coaching and I'm not getting any any positive feedback. Also, um, if it's coaching in one department, then, then it's a problem. Um, if, what is it they're doing incorrectly? Because some of the suppliers, when we have supplier days with them, they don't even know how to put a quotation together. Some of them will charge you VAT, only to find they're not even registered as VAT vendors with, with us. Mm. All right. Um, we've got a voice note there that I just want uh, our producers to quickly listen to before we play it here. But let's continue with the with with our okay. recap. So we're talking about the the, the sona, the SOPA, and the integrated development plan. Yes, that one is at municipal level. It, it's just um, it's more like a, a strategic plan in terms of the, the project that the municipality will be rolling out. And usually before they finalize it, they get um, residents to give input. So if there's an opening or a hearing on the IDP, supply, uh, suppliers need to go and attend and give their input in terms of what is it that they want to see happening in their areas uh, where they live. Um, the next one that we did was the strategic plan and the annual performance plan where I said uh, because of the changes of priorities, we had to change our annual performance plan Mm. to make sure that we align it to what we can achieve under the circumstances where we couldn't move around to visit Limpopo and engage with suppliers face-to-face 
we have to change it and reflect it differently that we're going to use electronic platforms to do engagement. Um, the other one that we spoke about was the procurement plans, mm-hmm. where we are saying those will reflect the future procurement that government intends on embarking on so they can look at it. It will help them prepare um, additional compliance requirements coming from different sectors that are not catered for on the on the CSD. So those procurement plans, they will translate into competitive bids and they'll be advertised. Mm. And once the award is in, it has been made, the suppliers who made it to the final threshold, they will be published as well as the scores on, on the same platform where it was advertised. In this case, it will be on the e-tenders portal. Okay. And uh, mm-hmm. so the other issue that we spoke about was that uh, one should check what has been delivered from the commitments made. Yes, because sometimes when the priorities change, some of the plans that we had, we had to delay them Mm -hmm. and they need to check because when we report, we have to justify or give reasons why when we started in the beginning of a year that we said we're going to do one, two, three, four, and then you have to give the reasons for deviating from that plan. Then you put the reasons there, and then they, those reasons get published as well when, when we account in, in our annual reporting. right? And the other thing that I need to look at is the budget itself, because it has changed a little bit, um, where we had a supplementary budget because of the uh, priority changes. Yeah. They need to look at what, in terms of the allocations, um, they can look at what we call the division of revenue, where um, how the the revenue in the country was divided across different sectors. So so that information is available on on the website under the budget documents as well. So they can see, they can go and check what has changed, whether the projects that they plan to participate in are funded or not, so that they can make an informed decision uh, what to do in the meantime if those projects are no longer funded. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they need to understand the different policies and what they seek to do for you. Yes, um, they need to understand the policies themselves because whenever there's a change in policy, it might impact on, on the sectors that they're trading in. If we are staying now um, in the travel industry, like I said, we only pay for bed and breakfast. And if you offer um, something else, maybe dinner or something, then you might find that when you submit your invoice, that that, that part of the dinner is not settled. So they need to go into pay. If Rakadi travels to Northwest or Limpopo, then you must cater only so that you give them bed and then you give them breakfast or you give them dinner or you give them that. Mm. So if you put anything about, above this, what is um, outlined in the instruction note, you might not be paid for it. But if there are any changes in the policy, they must make it a point that they give comments in terms of the sectors that they are participating in to make sure that when we pass the laws, at least their concerns are taken care of in, in those policies. And and how important is it for one to understand the different methods of procurement? Because they will tell you whether you are participating in line with the uh, policies that we have put in place because we, we cannot apply preference in, under RFQs in catering. Mm-hmm. It, it's not going to work for us because the objective is to transform certain sectors and, and not catering. So if you are in the RFQ, then the competition is going to be very stiff because there are a lot of suppliers there. The commodities are easy to buy and deliver. So when you move higher into the high-value commodities and the complex ones, the risk is higher. Most suppliers are not there. That is why we're bringing the subcontracting to make sure that we dilute that environment so that in future, maybe 10 years from now, we can see more uh, black-owned businesses, women-owned businesses in those industries. Mm. So they need to understand why we're putting all this process in place um, and then take an opportunity to to really make sure it works for them. And also need to know who does what in government. It is important because um, if at all you don't know who is supposed to buy your commodities in government, um, it's going to be a little bit tricky. You might end up uh, responding to fake RFQs 
because you don't know who who does what. For instance, in the Treasury, we hardly buy certain things. And if you get um, a fake RFQ that sticks to tell you that, okay, um, Treasury is sticking to buy um, dental equipment and, and we don't even participate in the health sector, that should be a, a red flag for you. So it is important that they understand if I manufacture this, who is supposed to buy this product that I'm selling in government so that they can dismiss some of the false information that will be landing in their email inboxes. Mm. And and uh, the other point, maybe when we go back as we refresh and catch up there, you said uh, it's important to use this information to improve one's interaction with government. Yes, information is, is money. When you have information, you can have a constructive um, engagement with somebody. Yeah. Um, because remember, sometimes in government you find people who do, who've never read some of these policies. They just learn those policies by you know listening to other people discussing them so if you know better it's far much easier for you to interact with somebody and correct them and get the right um feedback from them because some some officials when they don't understand they are so quick to dismiss you as a supplier mm. and if you don't know then you will think this is the correct way things should be done but if you know better then you can know that look I know this thing is not supposed to happen like this. Yeah. Why are you saying this and that? You okay. know, and, and they will they will try and find a way of correcting that as well. Okay. And let's listen into this voice note and see what we can say about okay. it at that. Okay. Good evening, Mr. Chauke. You know what? I know we are talking about getting into procurement and so forth, but I would just like to tell uh, or maybe make a comment. Actually, why don't these tender processes just be cancelled? all together because they're not fair they're really not fair you find one person whenever you go with him you know he's, he's going to get it it's not fair why don't they cancel everything and get stuff that's going to be permanent this thing is not fair and is not ever going to be fair because all we do is want to also get to know the person who can help us and they'll demand you money that's what we know so this thing is not working why don't it just stop and then let's, let them appoint buyers or something? It's permanent. People working for the state to negotiate one, two, three, four. Why? This is not working, Austerwam. I'm sorry to say, but it's not working. Good evening, Mr. Chuck. No, no, we've read that. Uh, okay, Rakadi, how do you respond to that? Um, the thing is, what is missing is that we need to balance uh, people's priorities. Right. Um, some of the people who are running these businesses, they don't have the qualifications to be employed in a particular position. Right. All they ever know is to run a business. Mm. Right. And also, um, it wouldn't be economically wise for government to invest capacity in certain areas where those areas or those projects only happen once in 10 years. But does it mean now during COVID we need to recruit people and keep them on the system and then after COVID what we do with that capacity? So it's going to bloat the the, the, the system in terms of um, employees and then thereafter the majority of of the budget will be going to remuneration. Then what about those who have the skill to produce certain things and sell to government once in a while? Are Are we excluding them? Are we saying because we have caterers or somebody who can cook in, in, in our department, then what happens to those ones who are providing catering? If at all, we, we how do we then buy stationery? How do we go about it? Do we manufacture our own stationery as government? Because we cannot just take a blanket decision in terms of scrap it all. The commodities do differ. The services do differ. Right, we're wrapping up our con- uh, conversation, Rahadi. So in our fourth week, we've been able to cover these issues. As In conclusion, what are you saying? Hi. Hi, okay. I was saying as we conclude, what are you saying? What I'm saying is that when, when suppliers do uh, interact with government, 
They need to understand that there are so many role players that contribute to what government needs to do. Mm. And um, we have to balance priorities. Uh, We cannot take a decision based on on one person and when the majority are struggling. So I'll call it a game of balance Mm -hmm. where we need to make sure at least people that need the services get the services. However, government is not going to do anything right if suppliers don't know what is the right thing that we should be doing. So this information is for them to use it, either against us or for us or for them. So it is up to them how they use it. Thank you very much, Rakhadi, for speaking to us throughout. Very insightful, great information that is very, very important uh, for us as the public as well to also know. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I hope the women will wake up and lead Limpopo. Of course, of course. Uh, Progressive evening to you. That was a Capricorn FM podcast. For more podcasts, visit capricornfm.co.za.